Welcome to Thank You for Toilet Paper, a history of the little things, a podcast where we talk about a few things to be grateful for and the history and stories behind them. I'm your host, Elizabeth Miller. Thank you so much for joining me today. Now let's get going. Growing up, my mother did tons of cooking, and because she was a creative person, she got bored if it was just the same thing over and over again. So she did a lot of exploring. We got to try a wide variety of foods, and it was mostly delicious. It's fine. You can have non-favorite foods. That's allowed. (laughs) However, it wasn't until just a few years ago that I really got to sample Korean cuisine. Of course, the first obstacle I had to overcome was getting better at chopsticks, but with practice, we got there. Now, the best Korean food that I've had was, of course, the food I got to sample while in Korea a couple summers back, which it's crazy that time has flown. But a staple of Korean food that I had had the chance to consume even before I went to Korea is kimchi. Kimchi is such a huge part of Korean cuisine that it sometimes even gets its own special fridge. So, in honor of discovering new foods that you love, or simply being adventurous in the cuisine category, let's take a little bit of time to talk about a food that has been around for quite a while and is a favorite in Korean cuisine, kimchi. It's also something you can say when you're taking a picture. Kimchi. It's perfect. (laughs) Kimchi is a traditional Korean side dish. It is made of veggies that are salted and fermented. Most often, kimchi is made from Korean radishes or Napa cabbage. In addition to the basic salt and fermentation, there are a lot of other seasonings that can be added and used. These include Korean chili powder, or gochugaru, garlic, ginger, spring onions, and salted seafood, or jotgal, and more. In addition to being a side dish, you can also enjoy kimchi fried rice, kimchi stew, and more. I do have to apologize in advance. I don't speak Korean especially well, so um, please bear with me on my pronunciation. Traditionally, kimchi can be made from a wide variety of veggies, as we already mentioned. Winter kimchi was called kimjang and was stored in huge vessels for fermentation, and these vessels were called onggi. These vessels were earthenware and were stored in the ground. This slowed the fermentation process during the summer and kept the kimchi, or kimjang, from freezing during the winter. The onggi could also be kept outdoors on terraces built for that specific purpose. These terraces are called jangdokde. These days, for more modern means of making kimchi, kimchi refrigerators are used in regular households. A record called Samguk Sagi, which is a record made of the three kingdoms of Korea, makes note of a pickle jar, which indicates that fermented veggies were eaten during this time period. The Kokoryo people are attributed with the first consumption of kimchi, as well as eating other fermented foods because they had quite a skill for fermenting things. During the Shilla dynasty from 57 BC to 935 AD, great long dynasty, Buddhism swept through the nation and with it came a more vegetarian diet, and along with that, the rise in popularity of kimchi. Making kimchi during this period included making kimchi in the winter, storing them in the onggi, and burying them underground. This process was also a time for women to bond together as they prepared kimchi. Different kinds of kimchi were made throughout the year at different seasons. The process of making kimchi goes largely as followed. Firstly, cutting the cabbage or daikon into smaller pieces, all the same size. This increases the surface area, which will be important for the seasoning. Next, you cover the surface with salt. This helps draw out some of the water. This helps get the fermentation process going and also gets rid of any microorganisms that you don't want in your kimchi. After that's sat for a few hours, the extra water is drained and then the seasoning is added. 
Sugar is also added and binds the water that's still left there. At this point, the veggies are officially brined, and they are then placed into canning jars that are airtight. Then you just let the jars sit for between 24 to 48 hours. This is done at room temperature. Because of the fermentation process, it creates gases. The jars need to be burped each day to release the built-up gas. Although these days kimchi has a bit of a spicy side as well with chili peppers and garlic, original recipes were not so spicy. Chili peppers came from the New World, the Americas, by way of Portuguese traders. The first recorded mention of chili peppers in Korea is found in an encyclopedia from 1614. There was a mention of using chili peppers in the production of kimchi in a 17th or 18th century book on farm management. But overall, the widespread use of chili peppers in kimchi did not become more mainstream until the 19th century. The Napa cabbage, which is also very popular in today's kimchi production, also wasn't introduced until about the 19th century. A book from 1766 lists a wide variety of veggies that were used for kimchi at the time, including cucumbers, radish, and more. As South Korea was involved in the Vietnam War, the government worked to improve the industrialization as well as the commercialization of kimchi to feed their troops. In 2008, South Korean scientists developed a special kimchi to go into space with Yi Soyeon. This kimchi was bacteria-free, which was unusual for normal kimchi in which bacteria is an important part of the fermentation process. The worry was, however, that cosmic rays might do something funky to that bacteria and mutate it, so better safe than sorry. For South Korean adoptees, there is a program to become reacquainted with Korean culture, and part of this program involves classes on how to make kimchi. Kimchi holds a special place in cultural heritage for both North and South Korea. In fact, it is one of two intangible items that were submitted to UNESCO by both North and South Korea as part of their protected intangible heritage. It is on UNESCO's representative list of the intangible cultural heritage of humanity. Kimchi-related products, for one, it's one of those two, and the other intangible piece of culture the two countries share, is the folk song Arirang. In 2013, Kimjang, the South Korean practice of making and sharing kimchi in autumn, was also added to UNESCO's list. It was listed for its importance as part of Korean identity as well as strengthening family cooperation. And the North Korean practice of kimchi making was added to UNESCO's list in 2015. North Korean kimchi is not as spicy as South Korean kimchi for the most part, and they also don't use seafood in it as often and it's overall less salty. Rather than more salty, more sugar is added to help with the fermentation process for North Korean kimchi. Now, over the years, efforts have been made to define kimchi as its own unique entity, different from a Japanese food that was a bit similar, as well as later a Chinese food called pao tsai. The Japanese food was declared to be different in 2001 in the Codex Alimentarius, and pao tsai was declared a different and separate food from kimchi in 2020. In the United States, a few states, including California, Virginia, Maryland, New York, and Washington, D.C., celebrate a special kimchi day on November 22nd. In Korea, in the year of 2021, Koreans ate nearly 2 million tons of kimchi, which works out to be about 88.3 grams of kimchi eaten each day by the average Korean. And in pounds, that's about 0.19 pounds, like, per day. Koreans aren't the only ones who love kimchi, however. It has spread its love across the world. So, if you get the chance to try it for the first time, I suggest you give it a whirl. Or if you are already a kimchi connoisseur, there's quite a lot to love about kimchi. And this is just a little bit of its story. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a marvelous day. Take care.
Thank you.